0: Microphone working.
1: I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I want.
0: Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in the truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Friends, most, if not all, of the September predictions have passed. The blood moons in the fourth triad series are over. The signs, the expectations, the predictions aimed at the destruction of the world and or the return of Jesus Christ have passed. There's been some revisions lately from those prognosticators. St. October is uh, maybe the time when some things are going to happen. If ever in the history of the world, as we said last uh, for the past month, in the face of external signs and wonders, if ever there was going to be an end to the world, it would have happened in this month of September 2015. And we have to admit this, all the signs that people could ever think of came, went, and we are still here. And yet, people still don't want to admit that. Are you ready? Are you willing to free yourself from the bondage of all that? We hope you are. I know the game. People make predictions. Nothing happens. So there is a redefining that occurs. And they begin to redefine and push their stuff out later. And later on, they'll look at 2015, September, and they'll say, you know, during the blood moon time, Interest rates were at their highest or at their lowest. And in September of 2015, a child was born in London to wealthy parents who had a red blotch on his head. Or 10,000 chickens died of coop disease in Afghanistan back in 2015. Things were happening there and building up, and pretty soon the hype continues. And there'll be new books, and there'll be new videos, and there'll be new stuff to associate with the fervor. And good, believing people will eat it up and live in fear. It makes me ashamed sometimes to be associated with what Christianity represents today. So I hope and pray people will begin to consider more the preterist view, uh, possibly even the full preterist view of Scripture, now that the great threat has proven to be just another figment of religious people's imaginations. Preterism is a contextual, reasonable, biblical, in my estimation the most biblical view regarding the earth and the contents of the bible it allows us to read the word and and see its vast spiritual lessons to us as god worked through the house of israel literally it's a view that removes the man-made fears that jesus is coming to wipe us out because that has been done in the partial or full preterist view And it's a view that recognizes when Scripture speaks of the end of the world. You look at the Greek and you see it's not the world, it's the end of that world, it's the end of that age for them. It's a view that does not allow for any difference in Christ Jesus between Jew and Gentile. We are all the same. No more differences between us all, male, female, bond-free. Gentile Jew, the preterist view allows for all of us to be the same and stop playing religion. Best of all, it frees us to love God and man knowing that this is our purpose and it allows us to get rid of all the focus on the futurist stuff and all the hocus pocus and all the sign seeking and just allows us to be Christians and live our lives and expect to see Jesus when we die. So. In celebration that God has not come and destroyed us, we're having a get together this coming Friday. Uh, There's still a few days left in September, so we could be wrong. It's really a celebration of living the Christian life for your full term of your life that God has given you. That's what it is. It begins at seven, it will end at nine. There will be food, free food of course. The Webster's always provide that. Cookies, chips, drinks, Subway sandwiches you can go to www.campuschurch.tv for directions. Now listen, if you want to be water baptized by anybody, we don't care who performs water baptism, as long as they want to perform it, they're a believer. uh, Be here at the Studio Church at 5 p.m. We have a new font. Derek is supposed to be behind the camera right now to focus on the new font. It's in the script. He's not there. What is he doing? drinking outside with the old boys. Actually he's running right now. He's gonna show you a picture of the font. It is an enormous cattle trough. There it is right there. And uh, we're gonna be baptizing people in the cattle trough uh, out on Friday. So if you have someone that wants to be baptized, I know a guy who's gonna bring a a couple of his sons. Uh, I know some other people who will be getting baptized, adults. If you want to join us in that as an outward expression of your inward faith in Christ, that's all it is. It's not joining anything. Uh, come, come, come join us. And uh, after the baptisms, we'll continue with the party, eat refreshments, socialize, and, give, and take just a second and thank God for his mercy in giving us life. I know I sound pretty sarcastic in the whole, thank God Jesus didn't come back and destroy us, but really, I thank God that he does give us life and he allows us to continue on and enjoy grandchildren and children and and things like that. That's Friday, October 2nd, and uh, join us. We have a new piece of video work, none other than from Cassidy, and I love it very, very much. Take a look.
2: was born, and his birth was celebrated, and he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And then his time had come, revival, miracles, praise from the masses but soon those same masses turned and walked no more with him and Jesus in truth suffered alone he was mocked denied forsaken He was killed on a cross like a criminal outside the city gates where the masses thrived. As sold out followers of him, how could we in our lives expect anything different?
0: Fantastic. Fantastic message. Really appreciate that, artistic. Cassidy's working on the final third of her trilogy, Girl, Boy, God, and uh, because it deals with God, it's taken her some time, a uh, ton of footage. We look forward to seeing that. We'll have another uh, screening like we've done Girl and Boy in 2016 you know somebody forwarded a video to me a video link of a conference that was held in salt lake city in 2014. i forget the title of it It had something to do with mormonism and uh actually i was frankly our campus was asked to host it here but that changed when all the churches turned against us so they held it somewhere else but anyway i didn't watch the video but i saw a photograph of some of the people who were involved and uh, i saw andy poland of concerned Christians, Sandra Tanner, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, uh, Earl, Bishop Earl Erskine, Doris Hansen, Aaron Shafaloff, Rob Savolka, Tracy Tennant, lots of people who have done a lot of work uh, uh, toward the LDS and reaching them. Others may have been there as well that I missed, Chip Thompson or Bill McKeever, maybe all that Manti people, I don't know. But I started thinking about all the people involved in reaching LDS people with the truth of Mormonism and all the hard work and insights that they have put together to try to to reach out. Truly tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people have been liberated or at least warned not to join the LDS Church because of their efforts. But then the thought came to me, you know, we've gotten a lot of people out or kept a lot of people out of Mormonism, but what have we led them to? What have we led them to? So I fell asleep thinking about that the other night and I woke up with this idea that those people who have been focused on getting people out of Mormonism are kind of like a group of liberators who walk into a zoo. And it's an enormous zoo and there are hundreds of cages or thousands of cages with animals who are trapped inside those cages. (laughs) and the liberators are all coming in and some of us stand outside the zoo and we warn people don't go in don't become captive and others pass by the cages and they talk with the animals or they hand them books and they talk about the failures of of mormonism there are even some we try to open the cages themselves and force people out i then imagine that a group of apologists worldwide were successful. Let's say all those people who were at that conference were successful and every single animal was freed from their cage and with some trepidation exited the zoo out into the zoo parking lot. And there they came. And there on that platform, they're on a platform in the parking lot where all the freed animals were, stands, Sandra and Bill McKeever and Chip and Doris and Earl and Tracy Tennant and and Aaron. Everybody who's been involved in reaching to get people free. And they eagerly welcome all the animals. Come on. Come on, Latter-day Saints. Come out. And they congratulate the LDS people for exiting. You're so brave to have done that. And then suddenly a bear pops up and says, now what should I do now? How do I survive what's the truth of being a bear in this world what about my cubs what am i supposed to do now and bill mckeever and sandra tanner and aaron they give their advice to a bear to the bear and then doris and earl and chip give their advice and i give my advice and ronnie higley gives her advice and the bear says i'm really confused you're you're all saying kind of different things And then the giraffes come forward and they ask questions that are important to their survival. And then the snakes and the elephants and the chimpanzees. And soon the questions go from, how do I survive and what do I do to, is baptism required? Do I need to be baptized now? Or how come the Trinity's not in the Bible? Or do I need to still pay tithes to the church I go to now? And is it okay if I drink alcohol? Can I watch R-rated movies? What is Calvinism? Should I believe in it? And all those apologists, who have done so much to get people out of that zoo and out of their cages and liberate them, are in opposition to each other on these issues. And in the face of that imagery, I had to ask, what exactly are we leading these liberated folks to? I know we kind of convince ourselves uh, that we're leading them to the Lord. Ah, we're leading them to, to the Lord, come to the Lord. But that comes with so many Uh, qualifications. And those qualifications grow and grow and grow depending on who you're talking to. So my question tonight is, are the ministries to the LDS doing what they should in helping people escape, but not taking the time to make sure they don't get led into another man-made cage? Aren't we responsible having set them free to lead them and protect them and and make sure that they won't be fooled and trapped again? We are. And and here's the point of all this. As much as the other apologists do not like or appreciate me and my ways and what I would tell the animals, we are failing in our responsibility to protect those we liberate from Mormonism uh, from further manipulation. Ready? Only, the only viable way for us as people reaching to the LDS to protect them is to teach them truly. It's up to you, Bear. It's up to you, Giraffe. It's up to you, Snake, how you are going to pursue Christ Jesus now that you know him. Our message ought to include that every one of them can come to know the Lord by His Spirit in them themselves, and to never, ever think an organized religion or a religious person has the right to insert themselves between them and God. No one ever again. We're not, we're not giving that message. We're, we're, we're taking the lazy way and saying, go to a good church. Yeah, go to a good church and, and find yourself trapped Uh, Again, So we have to teach them the variables that exist in the Christian walk. We have to admit that uh, there are as many fairy tales and traditions orbiting around Christianity as there were in Mormonism. We have to teach them that. And that there are pastors who will try to put them in bondage again. And that they are free, free, free to think and challenge and and walk with Christ without any of these other influences. We pride ourselves in getting people out of Mormonism, and we rejoice when the people exit, and we, and those people say, I've come to know Jesus, but often this claim does not have any lasting effect, in my observation. I've seen firsthand the result of these liberations, and many, in my estimation, are uh, kind of fulfilling the parable Jesus told of the sower, where we are like helping them be cast on wayside soil or stony soil or thorny soil and not on the good ground. We are contributing to that by yanking them out and not giving them the straight shot of what to expect and protect themselves from. I attended an event for John DeLynn of Mormon Stories fame a downtown a few months ago. And John is a beloved figure here in Utah among uh, the XLDS, and for good reason, he's a kind and and a uh, sincere man. I love him dearly. The managers of the place that was holding the event, they had to close the doors because there were it was so packed with people. And uh, as I walked through the masses and uh, I was approached by probably a half dozen to a dozen uh, people who said, "Oh, you know your show helped me come out of the church. Thank you so much, you know and all the stuff that uh, people can say, and so then I would, I said to seven of them, so what are you doing now? And all seven that I asked, what are you doing now? With a gleam in their eye and a smile on their face said, I'm an atheist. That's what they said. And I left that event down. I was broken in my heart, uh, not surprised. And I, I ex- fully accept my responsibility for somehow giving the message, get out of that church but not delivering the message that you need to really try to give Jesus a chance. And he has to have a real shot at it, not a religious shot. Think about it, folks. Subjective Christianity, if we bound together in our ministries and we said, listen, ULDS, come out and be aware, watch what people are doing, carefully check what's going on in the churches you're attending, that you have the right to leave at any time and don't be subject to another prison. And with that, how about a moment from The Word?
1: And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts sang,
3: come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse.
0: We're in Second Timothy, reading through passages that endorse the idea of freedom, Staying away from arguments over doctrines, love. Here they are in 2 Timothy uh, 1 13 14. Paul says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard from me in faith and love. Those are the two commandments, by the way, which is in Christ Jesus. Faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Every church built on faith and love in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep thee by the Holy Ghost which dwells in us. Again, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within believers, there's no need for anyone else to jump in and try to direct us in any way. Uh, 2 Timothy 2:14 2, through26 says, "Of things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. Don't argue over all this stuff that has no profit. But to the subverting of the hearers, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a cancer, a canker. And whom is hy- of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred? saying that the resurrection is past already, and overfloweth, the, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. Here we go. Flee from youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Foolish and unlearned questions. I mean, that's that's almost everything that we divide over and fight over. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, it says. Must not fight. Must not contend. Must not be arguing. But be gentle to all men. Apt to teach. Patient. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, would give them to repentance, to acknowledgement of the truth. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And finally, uh, 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of them that thou hast learned them, and that that from a child has known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I included this last set of passages to show how vital the Word of God is in our inner growth and that to hear it at church, to hear it from a pastor or teacher is wonderful and to read it ourselves. Is, is great in developing the human spirit, but not someone who comes in and, uh, and acts as authority over us. And then with that, we are going to have a word of prayer. Tonight, it is by our sister in the Lord, Marnita.
3: Father God, we praise you, we love you, we thank you, we consecrate you in our hearts. Father God, we come before you tonight, casting our fears, our struggles, our tribulations, and our will on you. Father God, um, strengthen our faith, increase our wisdom, and break the religious chains through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Marnita. Fine looking woman, is it, Marnita? You know, if you're a handsome black man, because she told me, you have to have hair. I I don't want no bald black man, she told me. But if you're a handsome black man with a full head of hair, write us at, no, just kidding, (laughs) love Marnie. All right, still building, working our way back into the LDS, a few more concepts before we get into how Joseph sort of started with doctrine and theology, and just built upon it, and the things that that, uh, fit, and maybe we can even learn from in the Christian church, and the other things that we can say, no, that's out of the loop. A lot of the early stuff is right in harmony with many of the things that we believe. So let me attempt to bring some understanding, reason, sympathy to what I call the LDS situation. And so we might begin to operate from a new direction on the whole matter. And why do I refer to it as the LDS situation? In terms of ultimate organizational religion, I don't think there's any church that can compete with Mormonism. Uh, In terms of ultimate organizational religious institution, it is superior. Catholics used to have it, and maybe some fundamental Muslim groups are right up with them. But in terms of holding people bound by religious religiosity, Mormonism, in my estimation, reigns. Now listen closely. This is not because they are the most strident and controlling, like a Jim Jones cult. It's not because of that. Quite the opposite, in fact. It's because it contains so much good that in the face of other institutions, it's really tough for people who belong to that family and have the cultural hall, and have fun ward outings, and their kids are involved in stuff. All that stuff makes it very difficult to extract yourself from the, from the organization when you see the failures of it. So this is what makes it superior, in my estimation, to any religious institution. Again, in my estimation, Mormonism, offering a lot of dubious practices and history and doctrines, counters them with a lively culture and lifestyle And this is what makes it so superior to others. But here's my point. Having been around a while now, most organized religions, listen, to some degree or another, are guilty of at least attempting to do the same things that the LDS do very effectively. I've always maintained that the churches around who really get angry at Mormonism, often the leaders are jealous because they they are able to execute cultural religion so dang well. Rarely are they as good as the LDS when they try, but they do try in their own ways, almost every one of them in some way or another. This is why I asked myself earlier, we are leading Mormons out, but what are we leading them into? What are they going into? Are they just going into another place that's trying to develop its own culture? So I realize that from the Christian perspective, we think that our churches that we're bringing Mormons into are just wonderful, spirit-filled refuges, uh, 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 refuges, uh, uh, for the LDS friends to make a home. But this is kind of this is myopathy, and it's kind of endemic to human nature for us to to, to believe that our ways are so good and no one else. Uh, has such great things. We're kind of blind biased to this stuff, and it's very difficult to see the forest because we put a tree right in front of our face. Einstein once said something super interesting. We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. Let me repeat that. He said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created The problems. Think about that. You know what he's saying? If our minds accept the things about a certain faith or church, then those same minds cannot see the issues of that religion very easily. And our minds have to change. Something has to change in our minds before the issues all around us will, will present themselves and make themselves known. This is one of the reasons why religious institutions strive to keep that mindset that they have put upon people going and alive. They do this by establishing rules and statements of faith and policies. And most religions hate it when their congregates go to another church, even to visit, even to go and like church scout. They don't like that. Pastors don't like it. Mormon bishops don't like it because they don't want that mindset broken open to where they begin to see things around them in a new way. When a person steps into an institution and embraces the things, that same mind will have a very hard time seeing a problem with the institution they accepted in the first place unless they are continually renewing their mind where they are. There's the key. For this reason, week after week, people can sit in churches that they've accepted with their minds, and those churches could offer them nothing at all. And they'll consider it normative. They'll even defend it and consider it good. It almost can't be helped until those people's minds change. If the church isn't helping their minds to change and grow and question and threat and and, and all that, if it's not happening, those people will have a very difficult time seeing the forest for the trees. But when the mind is washed by the word, the soul is in a constant state of growth, which enables believers to test all things, hold fast to what is good, and to discard the rest. From what I've seen in this state and in California, uh, most Christian churches in in some way or another, some egregiously, some less, present the exact same approach to things that Mormonism does, uh, only in a Christian way. This is what this ministry is against and has been against from the beginning. We are not fighting against mormon people we're fighting against the spirit of bondage bondage is what we've always been fighting against wherever it's found so we're fighting against the spirit the spirit of bondage if it's found in the baptist church if it's found at campus if it starts to creep up in campus if it creeps up at calvary chapel if it creeps up in the catholicism Whatever institution is introducing bondage to their people who are seeking God, we are fighting against that, all right? So while our focus is on Mormonism, we openly admit that the solution is not in another institution. It has to be in the only one who can make us free, and that's in Christ Jesus. It's only found in an individual relationship with him. It's only found in growing by his word and having that wash your mind so you're constantly renewed and you're able to see things in a new way. And and it's why here at least we try at campus. We have no memberships, no rules. We encourage people to go out, test the water, challenge everything that I happen to say, go to different churches, do what you want because that way you will decide for yourself where you want to be. We shouldn't be alone in that approach. The Christian church should be overflowing with churches that have that approach. And I'm not saying we know better. I'm just saying that's what that's what this way it has to be if you really care about your flock. Listen, Mormonism teaches something called the word of wisdom, right? Currently, a law in Mormonism, the thinking has been done, the law is set. The LDS people actually kind of categorize each other by those who obey it super strictly. They do this kind of subconsciously versus those who are smoking weed after mutual. They categorize each other based off the word of wisdom. But the Baptist church down the hill, the Southern Baptist will tell you, you can't drink and you can't smoke from the pulpit as well. And the non-denoms down across town, they might make their members sign a document that says, I will not drink alcohol. I will not smoke cigarettes. They actually have them sign a document of health purity. Is there a difference in this? No difference, you guys. It's just in the delivery. The LDS teach their members can become gods. Oh, my gosh, the Christians say. We rail on the the Mormons. They say you can become a god. That is just abhorrent. It's terrible. And uh, they never look at themselves. What do I mean by that? The Bible, when we read it, says we are to become as Christ. We as Christians say Christ is God. We're supposed to become as Christ. What does that mean? Christ said we should become as perfect as our Father is in heaven is perfect. Now, I know what the Greek term perfect means there, and it doesn't mean perfection in the sense of what, how we would think God is, but it does mean full and complete. Uh, scripture says we would be joint heirs with Christ those who suffer with Him. And if Christ is God, and we, there really is a chance for people to become joint, co-equal heirs with Him, what is that saying? And, and does that make the LDS stance that much different? I know it's different, but is it that big of a difference? We we act like what they are saying is just so. I mean, we rent our clothes and we toss ashes over them saying that. But our own scriptures, we teach. Jesus taught similar principles, at least the principles. I know our Mormon goes astray. I understand that whole thing. But I'm just saying, uh, could it be that as Christians we've overreacted to Smith's King Follett discourse? Could it be that instead of getting angry today, couldn't we just sort of respond to it with kind of some gentle laughter and amusement at their definition of what it means to become joint heirs with Christ rather than just start renting our clothes and gnashing our teeth and saying Satan has, has entered their heart? The LDS demand tithes. They say you got to pay your tithes in order to go to the temple and you have to go to the temple to be exalted, to have exaltation in the LDS church. There's a popular pastor right here in town, tells people you can get to heaven if you don't pay tithing, but you'll be at the back of the bus. That's a quote. Is there a difference? Not much. There's not much of a difference. It's all effing religion. It's all ugly. Manipulation. And I could go on and on and on. So why not use our brains and try to see all this instead of as a us versus them situation Let's try to see this as through an an individual approach. I'm going to wrap it up with this thought. Think of it this way. Just imagine an umbrella right now, a big umbrella. And over the umbrella's face that you're looking at, it says God. Okay? And down the handle, down the handle is a J shape. And right down that handle, it says Jesus. That J, that little hook at the bottom, it says Jesus. Okay? We traditionally have approached the Mormons like this under the umbrella of God, you can have Baptists, you can have Pentecostals, you can have Calvary Chapel, you can have this church. We institutionally say they all get to reside under the umbrella called God with Jesus being the handle. Outside of that protection of the umbrella, we put the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Muslims, Seventh-day Adventists, oneness pentecostals depending on how fervent you are and we just so we've institutionally we've done this kind of shift uh, sifting through and we've done it all through denominations and the religious approach that is the standard way we've approached apologetics when it comes to the divisions in christianity i would suggest a different way you ready we have the same umbrella it's god the handle is jesus and instead we put people people all people in the world underneath that umbrella, okay? And then we go through and we don't look at their denomination. We look at, do they believe? Do they love Christ? Do they love their neighbor? Do they follow him? And we put red X's on every individual who does that without even giving any look at all at their institution that they attend. That is more in harmony with the body of Christ and how God builds it, rather than the institutional approach where, oh, you're a Mormon? ah oh, yeah, yeah, you're not a Christian. No, you're not a Christian. You know, oh, oh, you're a Jehovah's Witness? You couldn't know Christ. Nope, you're a cult. You're in a cult. That's it. You know, and we've done that because we've approached it the wrong way. So let's deconstruct the buildings, put the whole human race under that umbrella, under God's umbrella, And see who is closest to the handle called Jesus and mark them with the X that says these are true Christians. That's the way we should do apologetics instead of doing it through the old standard way which creates uh, all kinds of division. Okay, (coughs) let's open up the phone lines. 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413. Shout out to Roland. Roland, my brother my friend, also known as Farfar. I don't do shout-outs anymore except in this case. Uh, I met my father-in-law from Sweden for the first time, uh, 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 and, and they've been together for six years. For, my, uh, my What is he? Daughter's my daughter's father-in-law, my in-law, in-law. Farfar. And uh, I want to tell him I love him, and uh, I love the wine tequila mix that you made and uh, I love your heart for people and it's been an honor to know you. Thank you for visiting us from Sweden. Okay, we have Mark in Ireland calling. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: How are you doing, Sean? Are you well? Mark, how are ya? I am, um, I'm okay. Um, I'm liking the, um, the title tonight, the perhaps a wrong approach. Um, I watched, um Actually, tonight. the
0: to on hour show that you did. Um, Mr. Seth, I cannot hear Mark from Ireland. Hello? Hold on, Mark. Seth's trying to work out a technical difficulty which was caused when Derek wasn't behind the camera to take a picture okay. of the font. We think some, <laughs> some cords were pulled. Okay. Okay. We got it? Hello? There's some distortion. It could be the rapture. Okay.
3: Can you hear me now? Yes, go for it, Mark. Oh, what's the crack? How you doing? Uh, doing well. Right. Um, I watched um a show that you did in 2012. Um, it was two hours long. Um, and it's on the the, the YouTube channel ishellreal.com, dot com Hawaii. Don't know if you remember it, but um. You said that, <laughs> um, that in your mind, God has an Irish accent. <laughs> oh, and yeah. You did, you, when you, he speaks to me, and yes. You <laughs> and you did an Irish accent. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that needs work. Right? Hey, every
0: accent I do needs work. There's not a good one in the house. They right. all end up oh.
3: sounding like uh, uh,
0: soldiers for the
3: Third Reich. <laughs> um, right, well, the, kind of the opposite's true here. Um, like God in my head has, you know, like an American accent, it's probably because a lot of the TV that's over here is like American, so he talks to me and, and he'd be like, well just to give you a, a very, very small example, um, hey Sean, how you doing, what's with the chair? <laughs> kind of thing. We'll talk about the chair another time. Um, in this um, in this two hour show, um, I, I I wanted to you, you kind of brushed off it, and I'm kind of on that path now where you were, where you you're you, you, you want to kind of scream at people in the church. Don't you see this? And it, it's kind of a, a coincidence that tonight you're talking about it, that you're you, you're sitting in church and you're not getting anything, and people just don't see it. They're in they've lost or they perhaps don't have the the critical thinking that they need and the church has the perfect circular reasoning that you you avoid people you avoid people who are questioning you sustain your leaders and you you you, if the the prophet speaks then the thinking's been done and that circle can't be broken yeah so my question to you is when you were a member did you baptize people?
0: You know, I wasn't a big baptizer on the mission I served in Pennsylvania. I think there was like mm-hmm. six.
3: I, my, my, my kind of, um. if this turns out to be not what I thought it was, and it's kind of leaning that way, how do you reconcile that to yourself, that I have introduced people to something
0: well, the only way I can reconcile it is I, I, I was doing what I believed I should at the time and, uh, and that's all we can do. I, I think that's why we're judged by our hearts and not necessarily what we, what we did. I, I was doing what I thought was good. I've done that on the show. I've done that as a Christian. I've done what I thought was yeah. right and I've made mistakes there too. So we, we, I, I, yeah. that's how I justify it. So did Paul. So did Paul. I, yeah. so did Paul.
3: Say it again. Oh, so wait, did right. Paul. Go Paul, right, got yeah. it. Um, I, I, I won't take up any more of your time. Well, I'm wait, wait,
0: well, before you go, Mark, do one more American yes. accent of God for us. Okay, well, I, w- I was
3: going to say, um, hey, Wendy, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> how she are you knows doing? What that means She knows what that means. Um, or I can, I, I can say goodbye to Jed. Wendy yeah. does know what that everybody. means
0: of everybody here. thanks Mark I'm in trouble see you later bye bye that is awesome All right, this is from uh, New Zealand Uh, hi Sean I really want to know what you mean by reading the word with the spirit it's a really good question I try to read the Bible every day but I can't help feel like I'm reading with my head knowledge and not with the spirit so that's my question how do we read by the spirit and you know I, I I how can you tell um, a couple things? First, reading the Word is a thing of the Spirit, and so it's kind of a cumulative effect. You start, it's just like, uh, like that thing for Lay's potato chips. You can't, you can only eat just one. So you can't only eat just one. You eat one, and pretty soon you're eating more, and you're eating more. And the word kind of has a cumulative effect. You keep eating it, and you keep digesting it, and you keep bringing it in. And that's one way I can tell if it's starting to intermingle and work with me. This is my experience. When I'm reading the scripture, if the passage I am reading is being fortified and amplified and supported by other passages throughout that make it make sense, that's one way. Secondly, we know that when we are reading by the Spirit, our impressions are in harmony with other passages of Scripture. So, uh, in other words, the Spirit of truth and light opens our minds to the content supported by all of Scripture, and we discover for ourselves elements um, that are there. And, but really, the most telling way, I guess in my estimation, that an individual can tell that they're reading the Word by the Spirit is if reading the word moves you to being a better person. And, and when I say a better person, what I mean by that is someone who loves and someone who has faith. Does it increase your faith? Does it increase your love? Some people read it and it brings them down. And that should be seen in the, in, under the umbrella again of love of God, not condemnation of bringing you around and praising Jesus for saving you, etc. So does it lead you to love? Or if you're reading it and it's causing you to be angry or hateful, then I would suggest that that is not uh, uh, reading it by the Spirit. It's a good question, and I, I would guess it could be very subjective. Because as I thought about your question, Foodie, I, I really don't know how to answer it. Well, let's go to Vincent in Atlanta, Georgia. Vincent, you are on Heart of the Matter. Vincent. Hello. Hey, Vincent, you're on the air.
4: Hey, what's going on, Sean? How are you doing?
0: Doing well. How are you?
4: Uh, I'm doing okay. I just had um <clears throat> just had a a question for you. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm currently uh in seminary right now. Um. Working on my PhD. I don't know. Uh, you you went to um college too, right?
0: I went well, to Calvary Chapel uh School of Ministry, non-accredited.
4: Oh, okay. Well, I, I've been um I've been working on a PhD and honestly, I think it's um mm. I think it's one of the worst things that I've ever done. And uh, I guess my question or more so advice would be um Um. Uh. I, well, about a couple months ago, um, I lost my mother in uh, a tragic car accident.
0: Oh, I'm sorry.
4: And um, prior to becoming uh, a Christian, I was never religious. I was a a Bill Maher type atheist, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, you know, I I I got into um. I think you've brought him up before, he's brought you up before, uh, James White. You ever heard of James White?
0: I do know James White.
4: Yeah, I, I got into him and, you know, all these other people, and it's like the more I got into, I don't want to say Christian or just, I don't know, but it's like, all right, if I, if I believe in Calvinism, well, then, you know, are the Armenians right or the Calvinists right? You know, is this school of thought right? You know, is this... Then you get to the manuscript, and then, you know, the manuscript stuff, and with the Bart Ehrman stuff. I don't know if you've heard of that guy. I've read all his books. And so I'm very well educated and in, um, in, in a lot of things, and you helped me get into Mormonism as far as, like, you know, talking to people. But so I'm at the point where um, a lot of it, I'm starting to, I don't want to say lose faith, but I'm it's just starting to become more of a man-made product in my mind the more i read and the more things that i look into you know from john calvin i've read the institutes of christian religion to the history of christianity um i'm studying apologetics so i'm not trying to ramble it's just i guess my question to you would be how do i i guess how do i reconcile with if I believe the wrong thing, I could go to hell. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, how do I reconcile that? Uh,
0: uh, On the path that you're on, it's gonna be difficult to do that because in academia, uh, everything is about what you know and what you believe and what is right and what is wrong. And we aren't saved, uh, Vincent, from hell because of what we know. Uh, knowledge is never mentioned as the thing that saves us. It's it's actually the antithesis of knowledge that saves us, it's faith. And so uh, I think on the road you're on can be used for your good, especially if you've been gifted by God with a great mind to be able to endure those studies. But if you let it get under your skin, you could go the Bart Erdman way. You could become a baker. You could become any of those guys who uh, Went to theology school, Loftus, and turned and became an atheist because we don't know God by our intellect. Uh, our intellect certainly is in play, and God wants us to use our minds. But really, bottom line, uh, you know Him by that humble, broken willingness to trust in Him, and and that is almost antithetical to uh, what we do when it comes to those those studies. So I would suggest this to you, my brother, for whatever it's worth. You could study for the rest of your life uh, ardently, get 10 PhDs. But in the end, if you are a seeker of truth, you ultimately will come to discover one thing. Everything after this life, everything, everything is about love, everything. I'm not talking about hate Ashbury love. I'm not talking about free love. You know what I'm talking about. And yeah. it all comes down to that. And if that is not the product that's coming out in you from your studies, maybe you ought to rethink what you're doing. All
4: right, cool, and if I could, I have a, just a direct question. Yeah. That was more sort of a personal, and I'll, you know, I'll let you get back. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with John MacArthur. But um, I've read his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, and a couple other books that James White has put out, and also Jeff Durbin, and um, a lot of the reform guys. I like a lot of stuff they say. I wouldn't consider myself a Calvinist because I I don't you know I don't know. But um, what is your take on the whole lordship salvation? Like if someone um, believes in Christ, you know will they obey him, different things like that. Because I saw your debate with James Wallace and your daughter at the end, that that killed me to see it get so emotional like that. And um, that's something that where I'm at, it's like a big deal. Like, well, no, all you got to do is have faith, like you said, but it's like, well, everything's a sin, so you can't really obey fully. But, I mean, is it because you're trying to obey? Does that make sense? Like, what's your whole take on that whole doctrine of, you know, lordship salvation, if you know about it, because I'm sure Uh,
0: you do. I'm going to be frank. I think it's bullshit. And I think that it's an impossibility in these bodies of flesh for those purveyors of holiness to talk about that in that way. Christ came. He was uh, the one who overcame the flesh. We can only do it by the spirit, but our flesh will always remain corrupt. And we're in flesh, so we will always remain corrupt while we're in it. So uh, I have a real problem with that growing trend, and I believe that uh, true, humble, loving faith will lead eventually to people putting aside some of their flesh. But where it's, you know, Paul himself, you know what he said. Romans 7, yeah. Yeah, exactly. With my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And with my spirit, I serve the law of Christ, or whatever it was, free liberty. Right. So you, the Lordship salvation is another gospel in my estimation. I am not uh, preaching antinomianism. I am just saying it's only by that broken, contrite, humble faith in him that we will learn to submit our flesh to him in a way that, that has nothing to do with our righteousness.
4: Okay, um, so <laughs> I'm not bothering you, am I?
0: No, you're. In fact, we don't have another caller, so uh, we'll, we'll go another couple minutes, Vincent, and wrap it up.
4: Okay. All right. Well, that's that's fine. It's just real quick, and then I'm I'm good with you because it's based on the same thing. Um, so when I when I was, you know, I, I listen to Paul Washer from time to time, and also I, I do listen to a lot of James White, and. Um, they use to, to advocate so does John MacArthur. the Lordship salvation is um, second corinthians five seventeen therefore if any man be in Christ he's a new creature all things are passed away behold all things are become new what what is your i guess exegetical like what do you mean or what how do you take that I mean is there like because that's i'm trying to just reconcile that's all i'm not you know i'm not i'm just asking a question i'm not debating you or anything i'm really just trying to be humble and ask yeah like, what 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 is your? Because I'm getting attacked with this left and right. Because I, I don't. I kind of feel like you do. And then they make up points, and I'm like, well, yeah, that is a good point. You can't be saved by Jesus. If it's not your Lord. You know what I mean? So, what do you think that that means in the context of Second Corinthians five?
0: I think that uh, all things becoming new is talking about all things that Christ deals with, and I think that to say that. And, and, and blanketly apply that to believers is, um, it's implausible. A believer, obviously, all things are not new. A new believer, all things are not new. All things are not new. There is the sanctification of the Spirit over the course of a life. If everything was new, then everything would be immediately sanctified and we could hold everybody up to holiness standards. But we can't do that because that's not reality. And so to take that passage and use it as a club to make sure that every Christian has become completely new in every way, meaning sinless and perfect, is a a, a horrible uh, 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 thing. But all I'm trying to say is I do believe that in time the Holy Spirit does win out on those who truly believe. And I do believe we do become soft and humble and broken and, and less sin is present with us. So I'm not saying there's not a purpose in our becoming sanctified and following Christ and dying to self. But to use those passages and just kind of build this system so that we can build a super race, you know, I just think it's absolutely contrary to the good news. And I think it creates a burden. And I, just as an aside, uh, I find very few people who are full, fully reformed, truly loving, broken, humble, contrite, giving, nurturing uh, people. I find them to hold everybody else up to a standard that is almost impossible for anyone to meet. And for me, if that standard was introduced to me as I came out of Mormonism, I'd say to hell with God altogether. I want nothing to do with it because my, I cannot do it. That's how I I think about it, Vincent. All
4: right. Well, I appreciate it, Sean. And uh, you've been a real blessing to me. And uh, I just appreciate it, man. Good luck with all what
0: you do. Thank you. Use your studies, my brother. It can be used well. And you can then someday maybe talk reason with some of those men that you've mentioned tonight. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Sean. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Well, we're out of time. Just want to say, uh, join us next week. We're going to continue now to get to more specifics about what the actual teachings were from uh, uh, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism and Christian uh, uh, Christianity. Uh, This Friday from five o'clock our baptisms to seven and seven to nine's the party. Uh, What we are celebrating is that God did not uh, come and kill us and we're still here enjoying life. Uh, We'll see you next week. Far, far enjoy your trip home we love you
1: see you then i'm on a ride going nowhere i am an existential cowboy on the wind and i won't become This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light till monkeys start.